Jawalski, what's going on? I just landed off the plane from San Diego. Oh, you've been, yeah, you've been traveling like crazy, dude. You went, you were in Canada first though, right? Yep. Denver to Canada to San Diego. Where in Canada? They almost pulled a gun at me at border crossing number one in Canada. (laughs) So that was nice. Well, I'm surprised they even have guns up there. Canadians are so nice. They don't even need to be armed. I can tell you right now, the nice people don't work at the border crossing. Mm. (laughs) Well, that might, that might be true. Why were they pulling guns on you? So we pulled up to the first border crossing and we had like, I guess, 15 to 20 minutes before it closed. So we pull up and we sit there for a solid 10 minutes and we're like, kind of worried. We're like, okay, like we're getting, we're certainly buttoned up to the timing. We're at the stop sign. There's not a person or movement in sight but it clearly says like the time of their operations. So I'm just like, I don't know. Do we just drive through? It's not like there's like a, anything stopping us. <laughs> we didn't. Okay. I'm not, I guess, thank God he didn't listen to me. I was like, oh, wow. Canada really must not care if we just come into the country because there was nothing preventing us from just driving straight in. So there's just, nothing is happening. We pull up to the first stop sign, wait for 10 minutes, nothing. So we just pull up to the second stop sign. Waited for another couple minutes, nothing. And we're like literally right at the entrance where there should be someone coming out. So like my buddy, Kurt, who was driving, just like gets out of the car to like go knock on the door or something like that. And as soon as he gets out, the guy walks out and his hand is on his gun. And he's like, sure, step back in the vehicle and put your mask on. A, you know, and we were just like, holy crap. And then like the other guy comes out and he's like, He's like, roll down all the windows in your vehicle. And we're just like, oh, okay. And we like rolled it down. Like, what's going on here, folks? And we're like, this is a border crossing. We're trying to cross the border. And we've been sitting here for 15 minutes with no sign of anyone. And didn't they just did not care. They were just like, they were like, do you have your Arrive Canada app? And we're like, yes, we do. But mine's not working because the app has been, you know, the server's been down for the app for the last two days. If you do not have the QR code for the app, you must return to America. I'm just like, oh my. So they didn't let us cross. They oh. kicked us out. So we had to go to another border crossing that was like an hour and a half away. And that lady was mean too. But anyway, we made it. I nearly got arrested at a border crossing once going into Canada. It was a hoot. Good I times. Was, I know. It was a long time ago. I would have been in my early 20s. We were, um, I just moved here to Cleveland and um, we were going to Detroit uh, or to, Crossing the border at Detroit, right? And I forget what that is. It's um, yeah. whatever it's called. Anyway, we're crossing the border and it's me and these two dudes. And I was working for a restaurant and our kitchen manager. And our kitchen manager was a Latino. He was actually, I think he's from Guatemala. And uh, so we, we get there and we go to, there's like a yellow line, right? And they don't want you to pull past the yellow line. Well, he runs the yellow line and we get kind of the same experience you do. You know, they start yelling at us and, you know, shouting and whatever. And so by the time they calm down, they come over, they're like, all right. And he's driving, which was our big mistake. And they, they say to him, I'm like, all right, what country are you from? And this kid, Miguel goes United States. And that's exactly the way he talks, by the way, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like, doing a caricature of him. That's exactly his accent. Sure. And the Canadian guy's like, are you shitting me? Like literally said it just like that. 
And I'm like, Miguel, like, tell him where you're actually from, bro. And he's, oh, Guatemala. And then next thing I know, they are literally pulling us over and they got dog sniff in the car and they're like <laughs> checking the trunk. And we were there for like an hour waiting to get through there. It was miserable. Yeah. It was so much fun just so we could go gamble. That was the whole reason we were going. We were just crossing the border and those days didn't have casinos in Cleveland. So we were just going yeah. to gamble, you know. Good times, eh? Yeah. But you finally got into Canada, right? You did some hunting? I did. I did. Well, it was more of like I sat in a tree stand in the snow and froze. <laughs> it was challenging. Let's just put it this way. It was a learning experience and I learned a lot. I had some crazy stuff happen that um, will definitely never happen, hopefully ever again, that basically it's like I, I used this, you know, small deer hunting excursion to help prepare me for, you know, elk hunting here in Colorado. So while nothing was put down, um, something should have been, and I made a critical error that caused nothing to get hit with any arrow. <laughs> so well, what'd you do? Don't, don't be vague. What'd you mess up? All right. So uh, it's, it's better if there's a video, but basically there was this little, there's called, I guess it's called witch's hair or baby's beard, one or the other. It's this moss that hangs from trees in that region. Well, this moss is, it looks very thin. It's like almost negligible. Well, there was this, in my, the tree stand I was in, there was this like this little, you know, strand of moss with like kind of like a ball of moss on the end of it. And it was, you know, in my shooting lane, but again, kind of like a negligible thought. It was probably about five yards away from me. And then, about 30 or 40 yards away from like the area that, you know, my shooting lane. And what happens is buck came up. It was, uh, should have been, it was a 10 point or I guess, depending on where you're from a five point. So five on one side, five on the other, it actually had half of its second antler broken off. So it was a five by two technically. Uh, but anyway, it was like, again, this is my, my first animal I'm going to potentially harvest. It's very emotional, but I was ready to harvest this animal and then eat it anyway. So went to take, I lined up everything perfect. He came in perfect. He was broadside, 35 yards. I had my bow dialed in. I was ready to go. Stood up. He didn't, he didn't hear me, by the way. Crazy how spooky they are. Um, basically, I did everything perfect, except when I released the shot, I was like, what happened? Like, I don't think he got hit. And he actually just like kind of ran away a little bit and then stopped and turned back. So I knocked another arrow and was almost able to get another one off at 40 yards. I couldn't figure out what happened. So I thought I'd hit him. I waited the 30 minutes, you know, to let him, you know, run away and then calm down and didn't make any noise. And I was going to go start, you know, tracking him. Well, I go down to track him. I'm like, there is no blood anywhere. And then I was like, what is my arrow doing five yards in front of where I thought I shot? And sure enough, the arrow had landed well short of the target. So animal completely unscathed. In fact, it came back to the same spot later that day. It's <laughs> completely unscathed. And uh, uh, long story short is that arrow hit the devil's or the witch's beard or whatever that or whatever devil's hair, baby's beard, baby witch, who knows what it's called, but it hit some of that moss. And it was that moss apparently is so strong that just me nicking it with the broadhead caused the arrow to land five yards short of the target. Crazy. And when you like, it was so small that when you were like lined up for the shot, you like, you couldn't even see it in the shot. Like me looking through the pins to the deer, there was no, 
So just by some chance, the wind blew, pushed it into my shooting lane because it was like kind of like three or four inches off to the left. But I guess the wind blew right at the right time. It was just crazy, man. So I will always check for moss in my shooting lane. Dude, come, come to Cleveland. You can sit in my kitchen and shoot from the window. I got a 10, yeah, that, 10 point that, in my that backyard. That deer you had was bigger than anything we saw up there. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, if for people that have never hunted before, I don't hunt anymore, but I, you know, grew up in the South and hunted my whole life and, and some as an adult, um, deer that live in the city and deer that live in the woods are completely different <laughs> animals. Like yes. this, this deer that roams around my backyard is a 10 point And it's probably about, the, I guarantee it'd be the biggest buck you've ever seen. Like he's just huge. And, um, you know, they're well-fed food everywhere, no predators, and they're not scared of anything. Like he was in the backyard the day and I was literally pounding on the window trying to get him to turn so I could get a photo of him and didn't even flinch. You know? <laughs> Whereas if you were in the woods, like you just, you, you even make a tiny little sound. They just bolt. Yeah. Know? I'll put it to you this way. I couldn't, there was another buck that came in the, the next night and because he was just squared up on me and, and like basically came in right on me at 30 yards and was just looking at me the whole time. I could not move my hand five inches to grab the handle of my bow without it. Like we're not talking like me, like, like a click or like making a noise. We're talking about any movement at all. Like just the fact that your, your sleeve makes a small noise brushing up against your arm on the inside of your jacket is enough to scare him away. Unbelievable. It's crazy. It, uh, so much respect. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's uh it is interesting seeing them in the woods and, and how different they are than you're used to seeing them, you know, when you're in a, a more, you know, a climate like this where you're around yeah. houses and people and cars and whatever, yeah. just their, yeah. their temperament is so different. Did you take any UCAN out into the woods with you? No, because I've consumed all of it, but good news. <laughs> I just got home like very recently and then sprinted here to, to make sure I made the call. Um Good news is I got a big old package waiting at the house that I think is all you can stuff. So I'm excited to consume it quickly. Dude, I have been, uh, I mean, it's a shout out for our sponsor, but I've been using you can like crazy lately. I've been doing, um, my workouts lately in the last, the last week or so, um, I've just set a running clock and you have an hour to complete your work. And I'll, I'll program it knowing it's enough. I can get done in an hour, but it's real tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a real, real tight time frame. So you can take breaks wherever you want because you're just working within that hour, you know? Yeah. Um, and man, those things are clutch. Like when you're working for 45 minutes plus like that, or, you know, close to around 45 minutes, having you can in your back pocket, it's huge. And uh, so that, that's what I've been doing with them. Um I need to, I'm going to start changing up my programming a little around the house. So I've got to decide, like, do I want to switch over to the the protein plus energy or do I want to stick to the bars? I may even go to the gels because you're not even going to believe I'm doing this. I signed up for a beta test with the salt bike. How insane is that? Beta test? Of yeah, what? So got, they have this new app coming out. Uh, they've been working with this company, Fit. FIIT, which yep. is based out of the UK, and they they're putting together salt bike workouts on video. So I put a TV up in my basement, and uh, you know, so I can stream down there, and my salt bikes in front of it, and I'm gonna be part of their beta test. They sent me the the fit strap so I can wear that while I do it, and I got to knock out. I think it's five to seven workouts in just a few days. Nice. So it's 
I mean, I guess the if we're going more mainstream, it's similar to it's like a Peloton, but you can take a class on an mm-hmm. assault bike rather than just like their Peloton stationary. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's very similar to that. They had it, they had it at um at the games when I was there. I was talking. Uh, yeah, to I didn't check that out. Yeah, I was talking to Tracy, the owner, about it then, and and she mentioned she's like, Hey, would you be interested? And you know, I'm a dumbass. I'm like, sure, why not? And then she messages a few couple of weeks ago and she's like, Hey. Remember you said you wanted a beta test? I'm like, I did. Did I? Did I say that? Nah, I don't remember that. I was uh, a bunch of Tito's in. <laughs> I probably was. And but you know, they gave me the bike a couple of years ago. And uh so I, you know, I feel like I kind of owe them to at least test it a little bit, you know. And it'll give me something to do because uh the worst news of all, my gym closed. And what? Uh, yes. Oh, I'm like heartbroken. So uh, I have Talk to find. To me. I have to find a new home, new gym home. Listeners, if you're in the area, uh, I already know. There's like two or three. Like Mr. Wooly is is CrossFit single and ready to to wad. Now there's a, there's a few close to my home, so I'll get that worked out. But uh, so until then, because I have a lot going on at work anyway, I'm just going to work out at home probably through January. That way it'll okay. get me past Wadapalooza, and then uh, I'll figure it out in February. So. Yeah, it's a bummer. But wow. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, all right. Well, let's uh let's talk about you. So you went to San Diego and you went to the Legends Championship. Is that where you yes. were? Yes. Yeah, super excited. Um, I was there with uh two of my coaches. We have my head coach and the head programmer of Wad Prep Masters, uh CJ. And then I was also there with uh, our newest coach, Orlando Holt. And uh, it was really awesome to hang out with them. And we had a phenomenal performance, had several athletes competing that were WOD Prep Masters, you know, followers, basically like our daily program that we release inside of WOD Prep Masters. And then we also had several athletes who were one-on-one athletes. And we had two podium finishers and nice. they both won. So that was fantastic. So Patty McGill and Rose Wall both won their respective divisions, 55 to 59 women and 60 to 64 women. And then we had um, a whole litany of other competitors do great. And it was just so cool to hear all the um, one. There's definitely several athletes competing who listen to podcasts, which is great. Um, And then the amount of people that came up and were just like, Hey, like, yeah, like the only reason I made this competition is because I can do bar muscle ups and I used your program. Like the amount of people who said that were pretty awesome. Um, Yeah, it was, it was humbling and exciting and it was great, great, Great time. We had a good time there. Um, so this, what was the age division? It was 35 and up. Is that right? Yep. yep. 35 and up. Uh, there was a 65 plus division as well. Or was there a 70 plus? I think there was a 70 plus division. Yeah, there was a 70 plus. I saw that. Yeah. When I saw it, I'm like, man, I should have entered old Roy. We could have got him out there and put him <laughs> on the podium. He would have. There was only two. <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah. I would have never heard the end of it if he'd gone out there and made the podium. Yeah. Um. It was really cool. There was actually someone, um, and I, I didn't get a chance to like interview or take any footage of her, but there was uh, there was a lady there, and I believe the sixty five plus division. Um, and you can tell like she hadn't been doing CrossFit for super long, or and had lost a lot of weight with CrossFit as well. Like very much a beginner, like couldn't do pull ups, couldn't basically couldn't do anything um, RX. But it was great because we didn't care as a you know as, like the field. It wasn't like they were like oh she can't do any reps. No, they scaled it and she got, she competed, even though it wasn't a scaled competition, we didn't want to sit here and, and watch her, you know, 
just stand and do pull-ups. So right. we let her do lunges. And it was just, it was really awesome to see. Um, yeah, just one, the master's community come together, but then two, it was really cool to see um scaled, you know, options uh for people who can do it. But what's really cool is that even for the competitors, some of the older divisions did have scaled, which was really, really cool. So rather than seeing people just flounder on bar muscle ups, let's say in the 60 to 64 division, where you got a few people that can definitely do bar muscle ups, and then you got a lot of people who who can't quite do them, they just made a harder workout for them. So they would have to do like burpee pull-ups, but four burpee pull-ups to every one bar muscle up. So obviously the people who could do bar muscle ups were you know, separated from the pack and they, they automatically, anyone who does bar muscle ups, um, I believe automatically out someone who had to scale. But if you had to scale, um, you got to compete against other people who had to scale that same movement. Um, and it might've actually not even been that much of a scale. Like I think you could do bar muscle ups and the burpee. Like there was a few people who started with bar muscle ups and had to move over to burpee pull-ups. Um, and they were just, it's just, takes longer because there's fundamentally more reps to do, but it was really cool to see that. And I, I liked it better than just seeing a bunch of people stare at the rings or a bunch of people stare at the bar to do pull, uh, muscle ups. You know what I mean? You know, a few years ago, um, these competitions, you would have had like the 35 to 40 and maybe the, maybe as far as the 45 to 49, where it would have been what I would have considered the best of the best, meaning They'd all been doing CrossFit for a while. They're really skilled. They can do all the high-skilled gymnastics stuff. But then once you cross a certain age limit, because there hadn't been enough people in those age divisions doing CrossFit for long enough, it'd be a real shit show, right? Yeah. Like, you just would, you know? Now you seem to have a lot of um, master's athletes in those age divisions, you know, 50 and up, that are really highly skilled in all those movements. Did you... Would, did you sense, because this went all the way into the seventies, was there any kind of a, a break at any point where you thought, all right, this is kind of the age limit where people in this age groups haven't really gotten into CrossFit yet, or are they all starting to be more skilled? I mean, they're all skilled, man. I mean, the 60, I mean, I was watching, I think they were doing, I think their division had sets of five. I mean, people are doing five unbroken bar muscle ups at, at 64 years old. Come on. <laughs> like it's crazy, man. So um, because this wasn't a huge event, like there were definitely, there was like a, uh, disparity a little bit between like the top and the bottom of yeah. some divisions, but in terms of like the skill of the CrossFitters, no, it's a lot of these people have been doing it for a long time and you can tell, and they can move, man. I mean, there was some, I specifically remember, um, watching some of the, the ladies, uh, including Rose, um, in our, um, you know, the, the, our master's athlete or our wad prep athlete, they can snatch and clean better than me. Like there is beautiful at 59 years old or 57 years old. And then, you know, again, the 60 plus divisions were outstanding. Um, I, I'm continually impressed by the capacity and the, the abilities of these people. I wonder what the programming in these divisions is going to look like, you know, five to seven years from now, <laughs> you know, as these, you know, yeah. like some of those athletes that are in their fifties, like, you know, we watched them when we were in, um, in Fort Wayne at the, was it the master's collective? Is that what it was called? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're doing handstand walks and not like short handstand walks. So, like, you know, doing, you know, really complex handstand walks and, yep. and muscle ups and, you know, anything you can imagine. 
Yep. You know, and they're kind of their mid fifties. So, you know, you've got to believe, you know, assuming they all stay healthy, which they likely will, well, you know, they'll be doing that well into their sixties. I'm just wondering what the program's going to look like as they continue to get stronger and, and, uh, you know, kind of maintain their fitness level over these years. And as other people come into the sport that maybe were former athletes that are found it and they're, you know, kind of getting their group back. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh time will tell, but there are, I'm continually impressed by the, the, by the abilities of masters athletes across the globe. They have swimming. Was there any swimming events? They did not for this particular event. You guys are in San Diego. How do you not have swimming in San Diego? What the heck? Uh, we could have swum when we first got there because it was raining. It rained for the first two days. How ridiculous is that? I'm surprised you said this was a smaller event. I mean, they had, uh, I mean, you know, I didn't follow it completely, but I have a lot of followers that were there and some people that would message asking, Hey, you're going. So I was kind of like kind of keeping an eye on it. Yeah. And Sean Woodland was calling it and yeah, they, Andy Sakamoto and they definitely invested some resources, um, you know, or pulled some strings or, or, you know, have connections to get, apparently the live coverage was phenomenal. Like, and that's something like, so the live coverage certainly made it, you know, more accessible for everyone, especially now that, you know, even for a lot of people, COVID travel is getting harder again. Um, but the live coverage was fantastic. It was just a smaller event, meaning like, you know, there weren't that many vendors. There weren't, there wasn't like a huge amount of spectators, but it was still great. I mean, it was still, it was still a, a well-run event um, with good representation of some really high caliber athletes. When you see those athletes out there, I'm just curious, um, you know, when you think of like a games athlete and, you know, we know a bunch of those people, they, they have to live a much different lifestyle than those of us who are normal humans, meaning, you know, they have to go to bed super early. They have to get a lot of rest. They have to kind of meticulously watch every single thing that goes into their body. You know, they got to pay for, you know, recovery methods, whether the professionals, it's, yeah, yeah, like chiropractors, there's just a lot that goes into it. And so I guess the question is when you look at some of these masters athletes that, you know, this isn't the same as the games necessarily, but it's hard work. Like how much by comparison, how much do you sense someone that's in their fifties, for instance, if you wanted to go compete at this and be competitive, you know, podium or not, like, do you have to put in the same level of dedication or can you do less? I'm more thinking about people listening to this that may want to go try something like this at some point. Yeah. I think one, it all, it all depends on where we're starting off. Because I would, I don't like want to give a blanket statement of like, no, you can't do less. You must do more. Because a lot of times, especially with like templated bigger masters programs, especially the more popular ones, like they just beat the crap out of you. <laughs> like it's terrible. The amount of people that have come over from other programs into ours and are just like, I, I, it was taking me two and a half hours to get through their program. And I feel like trash all the time because as a master's athlete, we do need to remember that like, recovery well as any athlete recover recovery is paramount but as a master's athlete as recovery starts to slow down naturally then naturally your volume needs to you know tone down a little bit more and you shouldn't be feeling beat up all the time because that's hard enough as it is um however that being said i do sense um you know the the handful of especially like 55 plus a lot of them are retired there's a lot of retired um a lot of retired masters athletes that doesn't necessarily mean that they have time to dedicate three days or three times per day training sessions. I don't think anyone needs to do that or should do that, especially as in the older masters divisions. 
the 35 through 39, yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys are are professional trainers. You know, it's like they're they own gyms or they have online programs or they are a coach at a local gym. Um, so I think the masters division is there was a time, and we were actually talking about this that you know, the glory days of CrossFit, you could have a you could have Miko Salo or you know, like other people who aren't gym owners and just like have a full-time profession that come in and win the games, you know, those days are long, long gone and they're waning for masters athletes as well. Like, you know, especially the, like, let's say the, the working age divisions, let's, you know, 35 through 55, 60, that's, you know, and no offense to anyone over 60 who still works. That's awesome. Um, but it's going to get harder and harder to compete at a high level, unless you're very diligent with your training, meaning you're, you're very organized with it and you have someone who's programming something custom to you. But if you're just like following class and you're, you're like an average CrossFitter and you're getting older and aging up and you want to like take a shot at the, the podium or make it to the games, especially now that they've decreased the amount of people that'll make it to the games in each division from 20 to 10, which sucks. And I know it. And I heard lots of people complaining about it and it's a bummer, but it happened. Okay. So the, we went from 20 people per division at the games. Now it's 10 per division at the games. Um, in the master side, you gotta be really committed to CrossFit. (laughs) So yeah, like, I don't want to say you can only CrossFit. You don't have to be a professional athlete necessarily, but it is getting harder and harder to be, to have a full-time, you know, banking career, and be able to make it to the CrossFit Games. Yeah, well, trust me, there's no illusions on my end to even want to do anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out, like, you know, these games athletes are, you know, spending 40 to 60 hours a week doing nothing but fitness. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking, like, you know, a lot of these 50-year-olds, to your point, are working. You know, are they able to do it, you know, and and be moderately competitive or, or at least enough where – you know, they're enjoying what they're doing without having to spend, you know, all their fun time, you know, like family time. And yeah, um, it's do it's doable for sure. It's just, uh, I don't, yeah, like you don't need to do a 40 hour training week, right. As a master's athlete, that's too much volume, but it's just, it's going to be difficult if you don't already have like the baseline fitness or the baseline skill level to, like we see a lot in a lot of masters athletes, they're just, they're ex, you know, endurance athletes. So they're ex, they're ex, you know, professional sports players or like they're ex some other athletic endeavor. If you're just starting from like, I've had a desk job. I'm like very marginally athletic. I want to make it to the games. That's going to require a little bit more dedication. And again, like, I think that's where like having a very, very customized focus one-on-one training program comes into play because a lot of people when they follow like a typical template you can't just train more especially at that age like maybe if you're 20 just training more helps right i remember i was there but when you're 49 when you're 56 training more is not necessarily the answer there's i think quicker diminishing returns there you need to train specific to the specific holes that you have in your game yeah, it's just the whole thing's really interesting to me. It's nothing that I, you know, again, nothing I ever plan to do. But yeah, you know, I, I know there are those out there that want to. I was talking to a buddy about this over the weekend, and I think you and I are probably on the same accord. I think if you want to do it, you need a one-on-one coach. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think programming at anyone's gym can get it done. 
if you want to, I mean, you could maybe get there. Don't get me wrong. Like you could go do some of these competitions. And the ones I've been to, like, I look at them and go, well, you know, you could go to CrossFit five days a week. You know, if your gym's got good programming, as long as you have good nutrition, you're getting rest and you're a decent athlete, you could probably qualify. But if you want to be competitive at all, you'd need some sort of one-on-one, like someone actually writing a program for you and, you know, telling you where you're making your mistakes. I think even even in a 50-year-old division. Unless you had a heck of a training background, you know, like unless you just were an absolute monster coming in from some other profession, you know. Um, Oh, man, I had some other point I wanted to make. That's going to be interesting for the next few years because you're going to start seeing a lot of these former games athletes coming into the master's division and holding on tight to it. Like they like to compete. I was just talking to Sean Sweeney about this. Uh, We're going to release an episode on kettlebells and cocktails. I think his is this week, this week, actually. And he said that to me. He's like, dude, he's like, as soon as I'm old enough to go masters, I'm never, I'm never leaving. Yeah. (laughs) You know, cause it's, that's good. A lot of people kind of poo poo on it. I'm well, like that, I think, and yeah. to your point though, like, you know, he is well-trained and he's, you know, he's got all the high skilled movements and he doesn't, you know, isn't going to need like a complex, you know, coaching scheme and all the one-on-one that, you know, he would need to compete at the master's level. He can just, you know, go in and use his games experience and he'll be fine. You know? Yeah. And everyone loves watching him compete. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I, but I think you'll see more of that as these athletes continue to age up. Like, it wouldn't surprise me to see a Scott Pancheck at some point hit the master's division and, and be crazy competitive in there, you know? Yeah. So I think another thing that's really interested um, for all master's athletes listening is your best shot to make anything is when you age up. It's pretty simple stuff. Not everyone always thinks about that, but like, let's say I'm, I'm 50 years old or let's say I'm like 52 years old and I am like, I want to start competing. That's great. Like do local comps, like see if you like it, try to qualify for some other maybe invitational deals, but your real eye on the prize needs to be when you age up to 55. That's the year. Like that is when you need to be peaking. That's where, that's the time frame that you need to have in mind when it comes to your training. This is assuming that you've never come close to qualifying, you know? Um, and what a lot, what we realize is that a lot of people just don't have that, um, horizon. They're like, I want to, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm leveling, leveling up to the, you know, older division. Uh, oh, really? When next year? And it's like, dude, it is too late. Like, like, yes. So, so you're, you're gonna, telling me I could peak in four years. I like that. That's good. Yes, that is, that is the time is like, if you get, if you're willing to pay and have the discipline to, to trust a coach for a long-term training plan. Someone who even doesn't have that much experience could be honed and crafted in like a three or four year period to get a lot of the things that you need to, to do really well um, in that age up division. Yeah. So I'm not willing to do either. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> here's a, here's a question from a listener that kind of falls in line with what we're talking about here. It's from Don Murray, uh, Don Bozami. It says, say, I love the podcast as a master's athlete and a coach I'm trying to encourage athletes not to focus on our ex and everything. And I've learned a lot from you already. She's clearly talking about me, Ben. Yeah. Uh, she goes, uh, she's doing a competition in December. It's a one day, a few workouts from nine to 2 PM. What are your thoughts on fueling throughout the day? Doesn't want to lose steam, but doesn't want to feel full either. Did you get a yeah. chance to see how these athletes were fueling during, I know it's a little different in a three day comp, but you know, uh, I mean, for a comp is similar. Yeah. The bottom line. Um, especially, I mean, it really doesn't matter 
the difference. Um, but in a one day competition, a couple keys I would say is just like in terms of fueling specifically, is like make sure you have a nice big meal the night before, you know, like the day before is not the day to fast. Um, have a have a nice big meal that you know is probably gonna sit well in your stomach. I'd certainly recommend um eating breakfast. Like even if you're a morning faster, like I am. On a competition day, I would wake up and, and eat breakfast. Like I wake up and probably have a nice big old bowl of uh, oatmeal, probably with a little bit of protein powder mixed in. Um, but I know, again, like stuff that is always going to sit well in my stomach. And then throughout the day, your goal is to simply replenish um, the the rep- replenish the calories that you've burnt. I, I think the main mistake that I see sometimes, like on a let's say you have three workouts in a given day is I'll see someone who like wants to stick to the, the, the whole 30 train or like paleo or something. It's like, Oh dude, you're eating unsalted almonds, um, raw cauliflower and, (laughs) and, and you're snorting beet juice. Like, cool, man. Like that is actually the beet juice is good for you. Uh, Don't snort it, but drink it. That's good for a pre-workout, but like you don't need to eat super high fiber, really healthy. It's like, now is not the time for that. You need to like, for me, like those you can bars would be perfect. You know, like in back in, in, in years past, like I used to have various protein bars that I would get, but like the, you can bar so, so well in your stomach. So like they have, there's some that have protein added in, or you can just take the energy bar with that's just carbs and maybe drink some protein. But I'm just, I'm trying to drink calories that has lots of carbs, so many carbohydrates, um, some protein. I don't, try to have too, too much fat because fat can kind of upset your stomach a little bit on competition day. The bottom line is like force yourself at the, like after your first event, especially if you have a couple hours before the next event, force yourself to eat something. You don't want to be, you don't want to wait till you're hungry to eat on competition day because a lot of times it'll never come. So force yourself to eat something after each event, as long as you have at least like, I'd say an hour or 90 minutes in between events, and then make sure that you're drinking way more water than you think. And I would also recommend making your water like taste good. Add some like electrolyte powder in there. I think you can has a hydration mix um, that they sent me that I'm super stoked to try out, but have some sort of hydration or electrolyte mix you throw in there. So you're not just drinking water and then sweating out all your salts. Uh, make sure you get some salts on competition day. You're just giving all the UCAN shout outs. So I didn't even intend for us to do that, but if you do, if you buy the UCAN, use our code scale and you'll save 20. Yeah, that was on, that was on plan. I'm just thinking like, you know, I have like, there's other brands that I've used in the past, but it's like, no, they actually have this stuff. And that's what I'm going to try. You know, if I have a multi-day event, that's, that's what I would do right now, but just do don't, I wouldn't suggest trying anything crazy new. Yeah. Don't but, wing it. Don't yeah. wing it or you will shit your pants. And I yes. like dead serious. Like I, my advice to her is that like do a trial run. Like, you know, when it's coming up two weekends before eat what you think you're going to eat on competition day, the night before and the day of, and see how you feel, you know, yeah. like, cause there is nothing worse. Like I've, I've had a competition like that once where I took too many, uh, gels, you know, oh, yeah. energy gels, <laughs> and then you're spending half of the competition in the bathroom. Like it's just well, it's yeah, not a good feeling at all. and get stomach cramps. Like. That combined yeah. with the nervous energy, man, you just keep going to those porta potties, and then it's a porta potty thing, and you don't. No one likes porta potties at you know on these competitions, so it's just a, it's a bad, it's a bad deal. I think people overdo the carbs the night before. I think people going to these comps are like, okay, I got to eat, eat a full pizza or you know <laughs> six pounds of pasta. You're you know like 
your body's only going to store so much, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so Probably you're not running a marathon the next day necessarily. Um, even so, like I've, I've run a marathon and you can overdo it leading into those too. Like, yeah, you know, there's a balance I think between, you know, to your point that you can bars probably are good, but I think you just got to find things that, you know, sit in your stomach. Well, I yes. always liked bananas personally when I was competing, they just always worked for me, but yeah. they don't work for everyone. You know, bananas are great. Mom. Yeah. What was the food like at this competition? They have good food or was it? There was food? no food. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah. So no food within the venue, but because I think the hotel was at the Sheridan. So everybody was just going to the hotel. I think like they gave them a pro rate to make sure that people um, ate their food, but they also weren't, I don't think they were checking if you brought your own. So like a lot of people were going out somewhere else and bringing it back. So one bad Nothing I hate more than a competition that has really crappy food. It's not always their fault. Like every year at the Mac, they get stuck with whatever the venue has. And it's always like, you know, tater tots and, and, uh, nachos. But it's like nachos with some sort of weird cheese and hot dogs yeah. and, you know, all foods that, you know, taste great, <laughs> but just weird for a CrossFit event. Yeah. Hey, you know who I hung out with a bunch and he uh -huh. got, he, uh, made some hard ass workouts was, uh, was Dave from RX smart gear. Oh, Dave. So yeah. So we hung out a bunch, talked about him coming out here and doing some snowboarding. Um, uh, but yeah, the, uh, the athletes got to use the, the, uh, heavy jump rope. I forget what it's called again, Hades and Zeus, maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the heavy, heavy jump ropes and, uh, that threw some people for a spin play on words. Dude, Dave is fit. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Really we didn't get a chance to train together. Well, I I forget what the workout was uh, that everyone was doing a few weeks ago. He did it and he posted his time. And I'm like, all right, well, Dave and I are roughly the same age. I think he's actually a year or two older than me. And he smoked me. It wasn't even mm -hmm. close. Like he just destroyed me. I was, nice. uh, so I didn't post my time. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, all right, let's change gears for our last question uh, of the show from uh, Nicholas. Let's see, Nicholas, what's your screen name? I can't pronounce this. El Cholo. El Cholo. <laughs> El Cholo something. I don't know. Anyway, this is Joe John. It's been a great podcast. Look forward to it. Uh, I love asking this question because I always get different answers. I like this question too. So Metcon then strength or strength versus Metcon or strength then Metcon, which do you think is best for people, for affiliates of all experiences. So the question is, do you prefer to do your Metcon first and then strength or strength first and then Metcon? What what's I your, prefer, What's your preference? What my preference is, is definitely the standard, which is strength first, then Metcon. The only reason is because if you Metcon first, then strength, you're not going to be able to move as much weight. So in theory, there might be less like muscle adaptation to like that strength piece. Um, when it's interesting, like a lot of strength pieces, like for instance, this morning at, um, I dropped into CrossFit 40th, shout out to anyone from CrossFit 40th in San Diego, dropped in there. We had um, some snatch work prior to uh, pretty, pretty nasty Metcon. I loved it all. And the, the, the heavy snatch, I was able to build to a, like a nice respectable weight for me. And I was able to work on form specifically like form in a state that I am like ready to do my best. If they flip-flopped it and I did that Metcon before the snatch, 
I would just be focused on avoiding disaster in the strength piece rather than trying to like maximize and hone in my form. That's just, again, this is a personal preference. I don't necessarily have any like science or studies or anything like that that I can use to back up the claims. I just, I tend to like the traditional strength then Metcon. Uh, but what was really cool, I think from a test perspective, it's really cool to do the opposite way around. Like I love seeing workouts and I even love workouts myself, like in the open this year. And even there was a legends event where they did a wonder at max snatch in four minutes, then an eight minute Metcon, and then a wonder at max clean in four minutes on the back end. That was uh, um, a workout that happened on uh, Saturday at the legends event. Loved it. It was fantastic. So I, there's nothing wrong with doing the weightlifting under fatigue. I just think for long-term um, technique development and strength development, probably doing weightlifting in the beginning or the strength in the beginning and then the Metcon is better. But CrossFit's all about the unknown and unknowable. So nothing wrong with switching that around. I like the strength after the Metcon, but I'm with you. Like my preference is strength first because I always feel like I'm building better strength. I'm actually building strength, whereas when I'm doing a strength movement after a Metcon, it just feels like a continuation of the Metcon to me. You know, I'm not moving as much weight. As a matter of fact, I did it this week. Um, I forget what the workout was, but it was not fun. And it was like probably 35 to 40 minutes long. And then I programmed front squats afterwards. And I came upstairs and I told my daughter, I'm like, I'm glad you were home because I nearly blacked out. Like my heart was racing so much. Like you ever have that where you're doing a lift oh, yeah. and the t you hit the tunnel, it gets, oh, dark yeah. on, it gets dark on both sides. And I'm like, yeah. I'm. I think I'm choking myself out here. <laughs> this is not good. You Dude, know? we should we should launch a product, the scale and build life alert. Yeah, no shit. I needed Forever. it. <laughs> I was Hell, scared. I'm falling and I can't get up. Dude, I was scared for a moment. It was uh it was not fun. But you know, it's kind of the point of testing it, you know, it's, you know, because it it was significantly less than I can actually front squat, but my heart mm -hmm. was racing so much, you know, it just it impacts what you can and can't do. Absolutely. And so I think it's good to test it that way some. Um, but to your point, like if I had to do a preference, I'm with you to be strength first and then Metcon. Um, I pretty routinely do it the other way around though. Yeah. Most for well, for two reasons. Number one, I like that test to see what's different. You know, so like if I'll do, let's just say stick to front squats and I did five by two front squat as a strength today, maybe later in the week, I'll do it again after to see how big a gap there is, you know, between the two both in percentages and what it feels like. So that's part of it for me. Uh, the second one as a master's athlete, I, you know, I don't from a, in a time conservation standpoint, I'll often put it after Metcon because I know, I know I'll be completely and utterly warmed up. Meaning like if the Metcon is a, is a body weight workout that let's just say it's Cindy, you know, pull-ups, air squats and push-ups. I don't need a lot of warm up for that. I warm up my shoulders, but you, you know, your knees are going to get warmed up when you're doing air squats, like they're air squats. Yeah. But, I, but you can do front squats after that. Cause now you're really warmed up for squats. You no. follow me? Yeah, so I'll, absolutely. I'll, I'll often do it as a time conservation in my home gym. I'm not sure I'd yeah. advise that for an affiliate, but um, that's just what I do. Yeah. So. And I think a lot of the reason the affiliates program, you know, strength and Matt is, you're going to tend to get better movement if you are doing the weightlifting and the strength pieces under, you know, less fatigue. If you do every, all that stuff under fatigue, then 
you're probably going to get even worse movement than there already is. Uh, so that's even riskier, I think, for the affiliate. But again, I, I do, similar to you, John, I, I'd say try both. Agreed. Well, I'm glad you're home, dude. Um, we've got some good topics, I think, coming up. We need to do our pregnancy episode. So we got Shona. We got to get Shona uh, booked. So let's book her as soon as we can. And then we're going to bring on some adaptive athletes. So as most of you guys have been following along. I uh, know I'm doing this campaign, um, uh, join the community, adapt to the competition campaign, uh, which is focused around the adaptive athletes that won't be going to Madison, uh, that they'll be crowned fittest on earth through semifinals. And so in order to give them, uh, kind of a more games like experience. I'm doing some fundraising to put together a prize purse and some swag bags for them. But ultimately, I'm really trying to drive more people into the affiliates and to and increase participation, not only in the open and all adaptive divisions, but just get more adaptive athletes into CrossFit because it's, you know, health and wellness is important for everyone. And that's a community that um, you know needs help growing. And I think we Absolutely. can help with that. So we're going to have some of those athletes on uh, over the next you know, coming weeks and, you know, chat a little bit about their experience and what it's like to train with an impairment, which I think is a really interesting conversation. And, and I think people will enjoy it. Um, and you'll probably also get some of the funniest commentary you've heard in your life. Cause there's nothing funnier than an adaptive athlete. These guys have raw senses of humor, man. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's fun. So yeah. Awesome. I'm excited to meet some people. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. And, you know, over the coming weeks, we'll be announcing, you know, different sponsorships that are coming through it and uh, giveaways and just some really cool stuff. So I'm excited. It'll be fun, 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 Love fun. It. Love it. All right, dude. Um, I'm going to table this question, but our next episode, I'm going to need you to explain pickleball to the listeners. Oh, but, uh, you better have enough time tonight to do it. Hour, baby. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to do it tonight, but we'll save it for the next one because I had a couple of people email asking about pickleball. I'm like, I'm not sure I can fit pickleball <laughs> in and legends and hunting and questions oh. from listeners. So we'll we'll table that. I just wanted you to think about it for the next one. Oh, week. baby. So. I'm going to have it. I'll be ready. All right. All right, dude. Good seeing you. And uh, for everyone listening, we appreciate you guys joining and uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. See you soon. See you soon.